This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show for high-earning, busy professionals where we will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Julie Holly. Julie is a successful real estate investor with experience in multifamily and ground-up development, and she decided to make a pivot and add assisted living to her portfolio. Today, we're going through her process for doing due diligence on the opportunities, on the teams that she was partnering with, on the actual markets where she decided to pursue investing, not only in the assisted living space, but also in her multifamily and development experience. So digging into what it takes to invest in assisted living with focusing on the people first, focusing on the employees, focusing on the residents, and there are an awful lot more employees than you might think in assisted living facilities. And it takes a lot to take care of those folks. And she leads with that. And we go through her process for analyzing whether the people are taken care of and so much more. What does it take to add value to an assisted living facility? A lot of great information. If you're thinking about adding assisted living to your portfolio, there's a ton of wisdom in this interview. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. To date, I've acquired, partnered on, or otherwise had a hand in over $250 million of commercial real estate acquisitions. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us or partnering with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Once again, our guest today is Julie Holly. Let's go. Julie, thanks for joining us today. For the folks out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about what you do in the multifamily space? And then we'll dive into why you've decided to add assisted living into your portfolio. Hey, Taylor, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. And yes, I love multifamily investing. Um, our company, uh, Three Keys Investments, we invest in a variety of ways in the multifamily space. Um, we've done everything from light value add uh, to ground up development. And so there's a broad spectrum there. It's been really exciting. We've focused on the Midwest, which is just just completely underrated market that a lot of people dismiss. They're busy with Texas and the Sun Belt. Um, and so the competition is less and the returns and the opportunities are really amazing up in the Midwest. So um, that's really where we have focused our attention. I like the variety in the portfolio. It really reflects our investors' needs. It allows our investors to you know, self-select. I don't need the cash flow. I'm investing with a self-directed account. So put me in the ground up development project. That's totally cool because I'm going to be able to really catch the tailwind of that development project um, and I'm not going to miss that cash flow. Have some other investors that are at a different stage of life, and they really want that cash flow. They want those quarterly distributions. So having, um, you know, the light value adds. We actually have a fully stabilized uh, asset in Minneapolis that cash flowed from day one, had equity built in. So having a diverse portfolio has really supported our investor base in a really powerful way. Awesome. So. You decided to add assisted living into your repertoire. Why? Yeah. You know, 
I think that actually goes back even to ground up development. There are certain things that I want to do in uh, for our investing company, right? So we always want to be supporting fellow humans. That's our goal. Uh, when we entered into the syndication space, it was really clear that while there are so many amazing asset classes out there, instead of getting watered down in a variety of asset classes and spreading ourselves too thin, really focusing and zeroing in on what is our purpose? What's our greater contribution in our investing? So our investing thesis isn't just limited to you know, having strong returns. It's also inclusive of how are we impacting the world and how are we contributing to um, residents and communities alike. And so going back to you know, tying this back into ground up development, I don't like to take on anything new into the portfolio unless we have people that are experienced leading the charge. I feel like it's irresponsible. So when it came to the ground up development, it was, I don't know anything about ground up development. I want to because I want to develop in, my in the future of our company. We want that. We want that experience. And guess what? You can't get loans without that experience um, already under your belt. And so I had an opportunity with a team that has that experience to it. So that was an easy like, wow, this is my opportunity. This is a safety net for our investors. Same thing happened. The same opportunity presented itself with the assisted living space. It was something I was very interested in early in my investing journey. However, um, I was kind of, you know, encouraged to stay away from it because when you're investing in assisted living, not only are you buying the real estate, but you are buying a fully operational business with a lot of human collateral to it. And so it requires lots of moving parts where a lot of things could go wrong really fast. I had an opportunity to present itself with an established team who is already in the assisted living space. So I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Our company can now venture down this path in a safe way where investors can support, you know, improving the lives of residents, providing um, quality residents, because we always hear these stories about assisted living facilities that are not being well run, that are dilapidated, and where residents are not receiving the care that they deserve at this very important stage of life. And so showing that respect to a generation that has already paved the way, um, really important. Our investors absolutely love the idea of this and really came into that investment in a powerful way. So when we look at going into the assisted living space, it's we know that we're aligned with a with a strong team who is vertically integrated, um, and we know that we can learn how to invest that you know in that new asset class without having that liability of, oh great, our investors are going to you know be at risk because we don't know what we don't know yet, um, and we have a strong relationship. We always like strong relationships with our partnerships, and so. That allows us to say, this isn't just a one and done, but a long-term relationship to say, how else can we build out this portfolio together to continue to improve um, the quality of life for residents at this time? You mentioned the operating business and all of the people that are involved in an assisted living facility, not only the residents, but also the employees. Can you give us an idea of the scale, the number of, say, employees versus beds and compare and contrast that with multifamily and the number of employees that you might have. You know, we had talked about this a little bit before we started recording. You have an interesting perspective on that. 
It really is interesting, you know, and, and this is something that should cause everyone to pause. Um, not everyone should go into investing in the assisted living space. There are so many moving parts. So let's just look at a um, 100 units. So if we're buying a 100 unit multifamily complex versus um, a hundred unit, we would call those licensed beds on the assisted living side, right? If we're buying the multifamily, the apartment complex, we're probably picking up, we're going to have our property manager. We'll probably have, we should have it <laughs> with that unit count. We should have an on-site manager. We're going to have some maintenance employees and such. Let's just say on the high side, we're going to have 10 employees, right? Like really it's not going to take too much. When we're looking at that type of um, that hundred unit comparison on the assisted living side of things, we're looking at a nearly one to one ratio for every resident. So you know you're picking up a hundred unit facility, you're picking up a staff of a minimum of eighty people. More likely so, greater than that, but a minimum of eighty people. So that is completely different from the multifamily space. There are a lot more employees and obviously, you know, quite a lot of people in the property. But how do you look at the like process of keeping employees happy? Or maybe if you have to replace some folks, how do you, you know, plan to approach that and keep it staffed with the right people? That is something that has to be inspected as part of due diligence from the very get-go. So really evaluating uh, the value of the real estate, evaluating the value of the business, and then you also have to evaluate the value of the human collateral. Like, okay, are these employees that are going to to stick around and do we want them to stick around? Do Are they the right fit for where we the direction we want to take this facility? What kind of churn are we going to have as we transition? These are all things that have to be looked at before venturing down writing that LOI or at the very least during that due diligence process so that you can understand what are the moving parts that we're dealing with with, with our fellow humans here. Um, we were talking about this uh, you know, in a different context, but honestly, having the ability to compensate people well is what is going to allow for retention of quality, high quality employees. And so where we invest specifically in Wisconsin for those assisted living facilities, my, my partner's portfolio is currently there in Wisconsin. Our new asset will be also in Wisconsin. They actually have um, a workforce care housing bill that is passed, renewed every two years. Um, and it was just renewed uh, at the end of July, beginning of August, once again. So for the next two years, there will be an additional amount of money poured into assisted living facilities specifically for paying out your your workforce. Um, and so that really allows us, and, and so we're talking about, you're probably listening and wondering, how well, how much are we talking about? It's actually a fairly substantial amount of money when you're thinking about an NOI, um, we did not include having that. This is also really important. We didn't know if it was going to be passed or not when the LOI was presented and going through the contract process. Um, and so we did not include that money in our underwriting. So for our for our future, it's all icing on the cake. Like it's just like, boom, hits the bottom line. Historically, that has provided approximately 235000 to the facility on an annual basis. So that's a very um, beautiful amount of money 
to work with in, you know, to be able to say, we can pay our RNs um, a very nice, they can be comp- well compensated. We can pay, you know, our LVNs and they can be compensated. Like every single person can be well compensated for their positions. That's great. So your partners and this partnership was key to the to your breaking into assisted living. How did you approach building that relationship with your partners and vetting those partners and checking all those boxes before you went down the path mm. of a particular deal? That's really important. It's something that's very critical at, you know, Three Keys Investments. And that is we are very cautious. Um, I know you're going to ask at the end your typical questions, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, best, worst, and lessons learned. One of the lessons, I'm going to jump the gun on this and just say, from my experiences, I know the power of relationships. And so we have, you know, some checklists that we like to do with potential partnerships. We want to know them for at least a year. We want to break bread with them. And we want to do, you know, some side projects, something where we can see how do we work together? Do we collaborate well together? Do we communicate well together? What does this actually feel and look like on something that doesn't involve any investors at all whatsoever? Um, and so those processes start, I mean, when you're thinking about, I want to know this 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 team or the founders or the partners in general, I want to know them for a year before we're going down this path at all. Um, in this case, that relationship actually began in 2020. So there is a lot more track and a lot more opportunity to see and watch how people's character is developed, how consistent they are, and what they're actually performing, acting, and doing. Um, and I think that that's really important to just get to know people. And when we feel pressured, when we any at any moment when we start to feel that um, we need to rush into something or there's a scarcity, oh my gosh, I, like if I had gone into this thing like, oh my gosh, this is the only assisted living deal I'm ever going to be invited to. If I, fe- if I felt any pressure, I would be misleading my company. And so allowing that breathing room, allowing time to percolate and to steep and to just watch people is really critical. Looking at their track record, look, but ultimately character and how people show up, especially when things go sideways, is probably, I would say, the single most important thing as we are evaluating our partnerships. So you live in Idaho, but you don't invest in Idaho. You invest in other areas, uh, you know, pretty well spread out around the Midwest. How do you approach physical due diligence and, you know, actually doing deals in other markets where you need to fly and travel there? That's a pretty big investment to go vet a deal, vet a market, you know, all the other things you need to do. How do you approach that? Oh, gosh. It's absolutely key. In fact, um, not every deal works out. There was a time I invested in going out to Columbus. We had an LOI that was accepted, um, and we were able to go in for early inspections and such on that asset. We decided that we're going to walk away. (laughs) So talk about investment of time, money, energy. Everything was poured out into that. Um, In my opinion, if you're going to be inviting investors to the table, then it's a responsibility to be able to pour out and say, 
I will go out to, I will go to any extent to ensure that where my investors are going is indeed something worthwhile for them um, to participate in. Um, particularly when it comes to the assisted living space, uh, being able to go on site, there are some ethical check boxes in my, it, you know, our company feels very um, convicted that there are ethical check boxes that need to be checked. Uh, so that would be, okay, what does the quality of care currently, is that a place where I'm going to put grandma or not? Check, yes. Okay, awesome. We're going to make sure that we, at the very least, maintain this, but we're going to continue to improve it. If it's a facility that we travel to, which this is what I was looking for when I went to this facility, I wanted to see, like, what are, what does this actually look like in real time? Um, it, pers it checked the box. It's an amazing facility, super well run, beautiful. I was so amazed at this. It's almost like this is what every facility should run and be like. Um, but if it didn't, and we have been looking at some other facilities that need improvement, so the, the checkbox is, is this a facility where we can improve this facility and improve the quality of care or not? And if we, if we don't believe that we can pull that off, then it's not something we're going to move forward in investing with. So going out for due diligence does mean um, usually I have to fly out a day ahead because of flights from Spokane, Washington. Listener, I live on the Canadian border in a one-stop light town in North Idaho. So travel is a big thing. I have to plan two extra days of tra travel, one on the front, one on the back, um, and that's just how it, how it goes. Um, and then whatever other expenses, such as hotels, et cetera, it's just part of it. But again, if we're going to be inviting investor capital to the table, then we believe it's critical that we are on site, boots on the ground, looking, reviewing every asset. Talking about adding value and improving an assisted living facility, how do you approach that? Say in the B-class multifamily space where I swim, a lot of the times the value add looks like changing out the countertops, stainless appliances, improving the interiors, sprucing up the exterior, raising the rents, things like that. But in an assisted living facility, the residents don't have, you know, stoves that, that you know, they might like a stainless stove in their uh, stainless range in their room. So how do you approach that in assisted living? Yeah, well, at this point, you're look, really looking at oftentimes we're purchasing from, um, you know, owner operated facilities. And a, oftentimes those owners are really amazing people and they're doing a good job running their business, but it's not being optimized. And so there are a lot of inefficiencies just within the business side of the, of the facility, right? So it's always looking at, so this is where you have to understand good business. How, how can we optimize this? What can be done here? It's looking at the business number one. Um, and then we also want to look at what are their rates? Have they been keeping up with inflation? Again, just like we see in, you know, owner operated multifamily spaces, a lot of times owners are happy. Oh, great. I have this tenant, this or this resident, they've been there consistently paying and I raised their, their rent, you know, just a nominal amount every year, but it's really not tracking with um, inflation and where rents are. And so it's well intended, but when we're looking at running a business, we do need to be tracking with, you know, key metrics in the economy. And so 
Oftentimes, those are other areas where we need to be keeping up with what is taking place. Um, and then looking at the public and the private pay, and that's like a whole nother rabbit hole, right? <laughs> that, that would be an entirely different podcast episode. Um, but when we're looking at that, they might be leaning, oftentimes the contracts that they have on their public pay are not being negotiated adequately. And so you can improve the, you know, the NOI right there just by going back, renegotiating those public pay. Um, and then you can look again also at your private pay and, you know, make sure that those rents are adequate. So a lot of times it's just simply looking around as to what's taking place within the business, what's coming in, and then looking at, obviously, where is this going? Hmm, interesting. So we don't need to get all the way into the rabbit hole of the public versus private pay, but is that, on the public side, is that negotiating with Medicare? I'm not sure of all the programs that are out there, but who are you negotiating with in that case? There are a variety of programs that you are going to be negotiating with. And so it is going back into those and ensuring who you are negotiating. Like, okay, is this working? Um, and I like to be fully transparent. I'm not the one that has to manage those negotiations. And so that's having someone on staff that understands and has those relationships. That's a power and importance of being, you know, either aligned with a good property management company um, for the assisted living space, or in this case, being vertically integrated and having someone on staff that understands how to take care of that and negotiate it effectively. How long have you found the typical projected hold time in assisted living to be? In the multifamily space, a lot of folks are looking at three to five, maybe five to seven years. Is, this, uh, is assisted living longer, shorter? What does it tend to look like? Yeah, actually, it tends to track very similar to the multifamily space, quite frankly. Um, it's all, it is very similar to multifamily in the sense of you have a business plan that you're implementing, you're optimizing, you know, the business, uh, whether it's the multifamily or the assisted living. And you're doing that so that you're prepared to sell and exit in a strong way. And so as we're looking at, um, you know, this facility that we're purchasing, it's a matter of, well, the projection right now is five years. However, it could be completely ready and maybe somebody comes to us and it's not on the market, but somebody offers us, you know, a very nice, handsome amount at year three. Great. Maybe that's something that we consider. So, yeah, typically you're looking at that three to five year hold. Um, we're not looking at infinite returns. We're not looking at longer term holds at this time. Hmm. I guess I'm going to add also a, ca a caveat on that or maybe an icing on the cake is also like anytime we're doing, you know, looking at our financing and our lending on this, that's another element. Um, in this case, we're able to secure HUD financing and that gives us a 10 year runway. And so always looking at, uh, and I think this is important in the climate that we're in right now where everybody's wondering, you know, what's going on with the economy. I feel like everybody's always wondering what's going on with the economy. It's kind of like people asking about the weather because guess what? There's always something going on with the economy. <laughs> um, and so with that, having that runway, Remember I said, I don't want to make a pressure decision for our company with our partnerships, but we don't want to make a pressure decision that we find ourselves in a bind and we need to sell. sell. We're forced to exit um, and it's that fire sell. And so having a five-year business plan 
but and securing a loan that is a 10-year loan just really provides that peace of mind and that runway necessary that, okay, could we exit at year three? Potentially, sure. Can we stick to the business plan at year five? Five, sure. Can we still be operational and effective if we need to hold a couple extra years? Sure. And so being able to look at that um, and having some alternative exit strategies, that's something that if a business, if, if a deal doesn't have multiple exit strategies and options to it, we just walk away. Nice, nice. Gotcha. A lot of great lessons today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Did you know that you can use your IRA to invest in real estate? Many real estate investors, myself included, use our self-directed retirement accounts to invest our retirement in real estate. You just need a custodian that allows you to self-direct your investments. That's why we've partnered with Rocket Dollar. Rocket Dollar is a technology-enabled, self-directed IRA and solo 401k provider that puts your retirement funds in your control. Our listeners can open a Rocket Dollar self-directed IRA for as little as $15 per month, plus a one-time setup fee. Just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com Rocket or click the link in the show notes. They have a fantastic knowledge base and a lot of guides to help you through the process and teach you all about how self-directed retirement account investing works. Once again, just go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com Rocket or click the link in the show notes. All right, Julie, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am absolutely ready. Let's go. Great. First one, what is the best deal you've ever done? Investing as a passive investor. I love it. It's lucrative. It's so much better than we, we used to have single family assets. <laughs> um, it's performed extremely well. In fact, in this um, very noteworthy op, you know, operator that people would definitely you know, recognize, um, this is their top performing asset in their portfolio. They've told me, their friends. And we absolutely love it. I love seeing more money coming into my bank account than I would notice that I would see when we had our single family um, assets. Like it's amazing. And it's um, proof of concept. When we decided to go down the path of, you know, syndicating, we said, hey, we have to do this ourselves first. We need to invest passively first. We need to do all of these things before we start inviting other people to the table. And it's still like, I love all our deals on the active side, particularly um, 120 units in in Des Moines, Iowa. It's just outperformed every. Uh, it's just outperformed. We uh, were able to start distributions early. We've continued those distributions, and they've been strong. I love that deal, but there nothing beats being a passive investor. I love being active, but I just love having another team taking care of my money and just being the recipient of their hard work. I agree. It is quite nice. And that is, you know, the active deals can be quite a lot of work. So we had the best deal. Now we go to the other side of that. The worst deal. What is the worst deal you've ever done? The worst deal I've ever done was actually not in real estate. I've been blessed um, being a third generation, you know, woman in real estate. I know a lot about real estate and I know a lot about not making poor choices in real estate. 
but I decided to ha- try to create multiple passive income streams. Uh, this is in 2020, and I jumped on the e-commerce bandwagon. That did not work out, and that, uh, by the grace of God, did not lose any money because it was a substantial investment. And if I would have put that into a multifamily, I would still be getting distributions and would be fine. But um, you know, dropping what thirty thousand dollars into a quote, passive investment e-commerce store had 126,000 leverage at one point on an Amex card because that's how this stuff works. Walmart shuts the store down. It was it was the most stressful experience I've ever had as an investor. And it taught me the most invaluable lessons ever. Um, meaning I didn't vet, I didn't vet, you know, the person that I was partnering with very well. Hence, I'm very particular about partnerships. Um, It was definitely informed by this experience that was very painful. Um, And also, invest in what you know. I I don't know anything about e-commerce. I know a ton about real estate. And so I'm sticking with what I know. Um, At some point, no. I won't. I'm just going to stick with real estate because I know it works. It's proven. It's consistent. And uh, the returns are there through and through. But that was the worst investment I ever made. Worst best because I learned so much from it. Yeah, that's a very common uh, theme from the folks I've spoken with who have gone down that path, getting huge balances on your MX. Sure, you're getting a lot of points, but it's a big albatross, you know, hanging over your head or, you know, whatever the expression is. So yeah, the e-commerce thing doesn't always pan out like they promise. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Um, Hands down, there are two, I would say, trust your instincts. So through all of the years of investing, I've learned, especially with the e-commerce, was to trust my instincts. My intuition is there. And a lot of times it's easy to dismiss it because we want to be logical and reasonable and we want tangible evidence, but we're created with (laughs) this other sense to us. And we should not be dismissing that. If something feels off, something's probably off, right? And so I've learned and I've specifically been testing my intuition since that experience just to kind of check it and say, see, you know, to kind of keep track with it, if you will. And it's definitely worked out well for me. Unfortunately, um, not, I guess, a year and a half ago, I went into a deal and I loved the deal. I actually flew out. It was in Texas, went went to visit the asset, toured the asset, loved it, loved the numbers, loved the team. All the boxes were checked. But for three nights, I couldn't sleep. We'd already launched the deal and I'm like, why am I not sleeping? And it was a different. So it was like going back to that trusting your instincts um, and your intuition. And after the third night of not sleeping, I have a, I like to sleep at night. I know we talked about this off air, like rest is really important. And so I just, I withdrew from the deal, which had a potential to be blacklisted from this team that I value, uh, potential to lose trust with my investors who already expressed um, you know, hey, I'm interested in this, interest in the deal, right? Um, but I trusted that intuition. A month later, the deal fell apart. So 
ultimately, my investor said um, when I called them to say, hey, I just want you to know, I still think it's a great deal. I can't explain why this is because I think it's a great deal and I completely trust this team, but I can't put my finger on it and I'm going to trust it. And my investors actually um, received that well. And they said, wow, well, no, because most people aren't willing to do that. And um, I said, I, I want you to know that. Uh, so I still retained those investors, which is beautiful. And uh, and then the deal fell apart. So there's that. Uh, the other lesson is there are no blue skies. And I never... I never bank anything on blue sky potential. It's like, what is real? What is now? What is factual? So when we're evaluating anything on a business side of things, going back to that e-com, it's like e-com is all about the blue sky, all the potential, all the opportunity. Great. What's right now? What's reality? I understand that we want to build and we want to grow, but what's right now? What's the base? What's the foundation? Nice. Wow. Some great lessons there. And I want to thank you for joining us and sharing so many lessons with us today. If folks want to reach out, where can they get in touch? Oh, please do reach out. Taylor and I are not just these voices over here, you know, streaming into your ears, you know. So make sure you reach out to both of us. You can reach me at um, LinkedIn is a fabulous place to reach out. I love LinkedIn. Also, head on over to Julie at JulieHolly.com. And that is a way you can access uh my investment company. You can access my podcast. You can kind of access the whole ecosystem. And also we have our second annual Conscious Investor Growth Day that's going to be taking place in March of 2024. So if you want to venture to beautiful Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, then make sure you reach out to me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping Wall Street along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.